Hi, I'm Kenzie. And I'm Emily. And this is The Claw Crypt. Crack open a cold one with us. While we discuss everything true crime, mysteries, conspiracies, and much more. Right. We didn't have any white claw in Vegas. Like there we couldn't find white claws in Vegas, remember? Oh yeah, it was truly's everywhere. Yeah. It was so sad. Like what the heck? White claw's way better than truly. I think I asked like three different bars. None of them had white claw. Yeah, and the one with the big games, I was like, White claw. They were like, No, we have truly <laughs> <laughs> and I probably looked like a sad puppy dog when I looked at yeah. them. I'm like, what? We thought he, we thought he was kidding. We're like, are you, what? <laughs> Sorry, we're not from here. We're from um, basic bitch land where they have the basic bitch white claws. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, so we're technically recording this in August, but we're doing spooky, what are we calling them? The spoopy oopies. The, yeah, spooky oopies. No, spoopy oopies. Spoopy? Spoopy oopies. The spoopy oopies. Okay. <laughs> We're doing spoopy oopies <laughs> for September and October. It's only a few days away from September, and Walmart has the Halloween candy out already, so that means it's officially spooky season. It's acceptable now. Yeah, and I already kind of like half decorated the little back room with halloween stuff i like the little ghost hanging from the ceiling he's pretty cute yeah yes okay so i'm assuming a lot of people have heard the hook urban legend i haven't um, <laughs> oh my gosh i was even told this by some of my grandparents um so the hook is an urban legend but in 1946 it was like reality for a town called texarkana which is on the border of Texas and Arkansas. Oh. Yeah, it's like right on the border. So it's like a split town. So it's Texarkana, Texas, or Texarkana, Arkansas. I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, you're going to hear some weird noises in the background because my neighbors have decided that they're chopping down a fucking forest next door. Okay, I'll just talk extra loud and hopefully it only picks up my voice and not that. Hopefully. <laughs> Okay, in 1960, um, the legend was put in the Deer Alley column of a newspaper. It was like a pretty big like piece of the newspaper back then in the town. It was in there, and that's kind of how the urban legend like, got more popular, I guess. It like, got outside of this little town. But the actual crimes happened before the legend, so the legend's based off the crimes, if that makes sense. Kind of? <laughs> It'll make sense in a minute. Okay, so the hook was often told to scare teens out of having sex. Oh. Yeah, teenage car culture was a big thing back then, so more than likely it was meant to frighten those sneaky teens out of car sex on those lever lanes. This is before Netflix and chill, so. Yeah, what, what more do you have to do other than, you know, yeah. go fuck in a car? Yeah, the lover's lanes were like private roads that you just pull off and, you know... Okay, so the actual legend um, is a teenage boy drove his date into a dark and deserted lover's lane for a makeout session. 
Mm-hmm. A short while later, the music suddenly stopped and the announcer's voice came on warning in an urgent tone that a convicted murderer had escaped from the insane asylum, which happened to be located not far from the lover's lane. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. And that anyone that noticed a strange man lurking about with a hook in place of his right hand should immediately report his whereabouts to the police. The bird. The, the bird. <laughs> the girl became frightened and asked to be taken home. The boy, feeling bold, locked the doors instead and assured his date that they would be safe. Some <laughs> frantic. He's just trying to get it on. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, nah, fuck it. We're fine. Yeah, she became frantic um, and insisted that they leave. Relenting, the boy peevishly jerked the car into gear and spun its wheels as he pulled out of the parking space. When they arrived at the girl's house, she got out of the car and reached to close the door behind her. Then she began to scream uncontrollably. The boy ran over to her side to see what was going on, and dangling from the door was a bloody hook. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Shit. I wouldn't want to stay there either. I'd be like, no, you need to take me home right now. <laughs> We're leaving. Now we get to the real killer. The hook is the name of the urgent legend, but the murders were called a few different things. Uh, the most common ones were like the Moonlight Murders, or they'd call them the Phantom Killer. Moonlight Murder name was because a lot of them happened on full moons, but the first two were a week after full moon, and the last one was on a new moon, so it kind of doesn't make sense. They were trying <laughs> to make it make sense, and it just yeah. didn't work out for them. The killer would have claim, would claim the lives of five people in a ten-week span from February to May. Uh, the killer targeted teens parked in Lover's Lane, but there was one middle-aged couple in their own home. Okay, we'll get to the first victims. On February 22nd, 1946, 24-year-old Jimmy Hollis and his lover, 19-year-old Mary Jane Luray, Ooh. went to see a <laughs> Mary Jane. <laughs> yeah. Mary, no, Mary Jean Luray. Oh. Oops. Damn it. I said Jane, didn't I? Yeah. I typed Jane out too once. <laughs> I was like, Mary Jane. Yeah. They went to go see a movie after they wanted to get some alone time. Um, I found a few different things. The ages sometimes get mixed up. And I think it's just because it's such a popular, like, legend and case that, like, there's It's like a game of telephone. Yeah, so some places were saying that it happened on the 26th and that Jimmy was 25. They did what a lot of teens do when they found a private spot on Richmond Road to park. Uh, It was a common lover's lane in the town. But before the couple could do their thing, they were interrupted by a man shining a flashlight in their car window. The man was described as having a white pillowcase with eyes and mouth holes cut out over his head. Uh, he did not have a hook for his hand, but he did have a gun. Oh. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know if that's worse or probably worse. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <sighs> he told the couple to get out of the car. Jimmy thought that it was a prank meant for someone else, so he was like, yo, man, you got the wrong guy. Like, this is funny, though, but I don't <laughs> not, know. Not that. for us. <laughs> yeah. The man held up a gun and said, quote, I don't want to kill you fellas, so say as I do. Now Jimmy knew it wasn't a prank and they got out of the say car. Say as I do. Do as I say. Oh. <laughs> say as I do. <laughs> do as I say. Same thing. I was like, was he going to do like charades type of thing with <laughs> that them? That would be funny. <laughs> okay, so at this point they're out of the car with this guy with a pillowcase on his head. And they probably thought they were being robbed, which, I mean, that makes sense. I would, too. Yeah. Once outside the car, the man told Jimmy to take off his pants. 
Then oh. the man hit him over the head with a gun. Mary said that he was hit so hard it sounded like Jimmy had been shot. So she thought the gun had actually gone off. Mary grabbed Jimmy's wallet and emptied it emptied it out in front of the man, but he didn't care about the little money that Jimmy had on him. Um, Me too. The man too. then hit Mary over the head, and she fell to the ground. He then told her to stand up and ordered her to run. She ran looking for help, but the man caught up with her and asked why she ran. When Mary <laughs> said, he told her... Well, Mary said, that, like, you told me to run, dude. The man said she was lying and hit her with the gun again. What? Yes. Uh, this part gets a little bit gruesome. Uh, the man got on top of Mary and sexually assaulted her with the barrel of his gun. Police kept this fact out of the media to weed out false confessions. For some reason, people confess to things they didn't do. Why would you do that? There's been so many of those, though, especially with, like, big killers, like... They're like, oh, yeah, it was me. I stabbed this person. The police are like, uh, she was shot. And you're like, oh, yeah, I meant shot. I don't understand why people would want to do that. Like, yeah, I'm just going to offer myself to take up this guy's prison sentence because yeah. why the fuck not? Yeah, well, then Mary was like, just go ahead, kill me. And a few minutes later, car's lights, like car was driving by and its lights scared the man away. Mary ran for a half mile until she found a house. There she called the police. While Mary was gone, Jimmy woke up and walked back up to the main road where he tried to wave down a passing car. The car drove right past Jimmy, but they did go to a funeral home down the road to call police because he was, like, obviously bleeding from his head. So, like, he's like, you're not even in my car, but I'll, I'll call the police for you. <laughs> <laughs> Once the cops had arrived, they took Mary and Jimmy to the hospital. At the hospital, they found Jimmy had a fractured skull. Both, yeah, that's a hard hit. Ow. <laughs> Both Jimmy and Mary said that even though they had head trauma, they felt confident enough to give the police a statement. Uh, but some stuff did not add up. <laughs> Both said the man was six feet tall with a flashlight and a gun. Mary said the man was African-American in his 20s, and Jimmy said it was a Caucasian man in his 30s. He was wearing a pillowcase. How could you tell? I don't know. Because of that, though, the police thought that they knew who the attacker was and they were trying to keep his identity hidden. That kind of made the case run cold. <laughs> police soon realized that the couple was actually chosen at random and the news scared the shit out of the town, but they did both survive. At least they lived. That's a good thing. Okay, second victims. On March 24th, about a month later, a man drove by a lover's lane in the area. Uh, this one was just off Rich Road, not Richmond, <laughs> just Rich Road. <laughs> Um, it was shorter than rich. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they only called it rich. Yes. So this guy found a car parked on the side of the road. In the car were 29-year-old Richard Griffin. Yeah, lots of riches in this story. Damn. Rich men, rich, and Richard. They really like the rich. Yes. So Richard Griffin was 29 and his girlfriend was 17. Um, his girlfriend's name was Polly Ann Moore, which is a cool name. Polly Ann. I like, I like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> Richard was found slumped over the steering wheel with no pants on. The man thought he was asleep. He got out of his vehicle to try to wake up the driver, but once he got close to the car, he saw blood coming from the driver's head. He also saw Polly laying in the back seat. The yeah, man... I'm just taking a nap with my pants off on the steering wheel. Like... <laughs> yeah. The man called the police, and when the police came, they saw Richmond's hands were still resting on the steering wheel. Um, he had died from two or three bullet wounds in his head. Police found a large amount of blood Ooh. near the car. 
Uh, this means they were killed outside the car and staged back in it. Really weird. So next to the blood, they found some 32 caliber bullets. Uh, they think came from a Colt, which I'm pretty sure is a gun, but I know nothing about guns. Colt so. 45 and two Yeah, that's, that's what I thought about. I was like, <laughs> the song Colt 45, is it about a gun? I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. Yeah, it's a gun. Okay, so Polly was in the back seat face down with one bullet in the back of her head. There was really no evidence at the scene. It had stormed the morning, like that morning that the bodies were found. So all the footprints and fingerprints were like washed away. And this is before like DNA and all that shit. So they had nothing. (laughs) Sad. There's a nightclub down the road from the car, uh, but no one saw or heard anything. I mean, it's a nightclub. It's probably pretty loud, and like you're not gonna hear if a gun goes off down the road. I'm guessing. Oh but God, no! They're probably partying it up, and yeah, half of them are asked, probably drunk as hell. They asked anyways. Uh, before a proper autopsy could be done, Polly's body had been embalmed, so they didn't know if she had been sexually assaulted, like Mary. <sighs> oh, yeah. So Wait. she was already pumped full. Of, embalming's like. They drain all the blood from your body, and they pump you full of, like, this preservative thing. So they can, like, run the test and stuff, and you're not decaying while they're running them? No, it's so that you don't decay right away when they bury you. You run tests and stuff before you do the embalming. Oh. Otherwise, it's... Like, she was already prepared for a funeral, basically. Oh. Before they could even order an autopsy. Well, what the fuck? Mm Mm-hmm. That was stupid of them. Yeah. Polly and Richard were together for six weeks, and even though they had a big age difference, all their friends and family, like, approved of their relationship. They had known each other for a while, and so, like, there's no, like, family enemies there, you know? That's a good thing, at least. Yeah. The The last person to see them was Polly's sister when they had gone out to dinner. You get that scratch out <laughs> when they had gone out to dinner the night before. <laughs> <laughs> this is going so smoothly. Okay, but it is really cute. Is. He looks guilty when I look at him. <laughs> it's okay, Ozzy. If you got an itch, you got an itch. There's nothing you can do about it. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about the investigation that's going on right now. Um, at this point, Texas and Arkansas were scared. They had a crazy man with a gun killing couples. So they both states started an investigation along with the FBI. So you had two different police stations and the FBI. And um, back then, they didn't communicate everything as well as they do today. They didn't have, like, a huge computer database. So everything was scattered. Like, not everyone knew everything. So it was really hard to actually do, like... A good investigation. Oh god, this sounds like a whole disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. The Texas Rangers also got involved on this investigation, including a pretty popular ranger named Manuel Lone Wolf Gonzalez. Sounds like some like dude traveling back in the day that like like old western movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think of. He kinda looks like it too. Lone Wolf. Yeah. So He was known for his good looks, and he was often seen fighting people before he would put them under arrest, so he would just, like, tackle them to the ground and then handcuff them. I don't know why. Uh, But he loved the attention. 
Um, and because he loved the attention, he would take every opportunity he could get to get put on the front page of any newspaper at all. <laughs> so he was leaking stuff left and right to the media just so that he would be like, oh yeah, I found this clue when really someone else found it and he was taking credit for it and they what wanted to keep it a secret. dickwad. Yeah. He told media that he would not leave until the suspect was arrested or killed. A promise he would not keep. Damn it, lone wolf. Yeah. <laughs> the investigation was slow due to the lack of physical evidence. Uh, they offered a $500 reward for any information, but this just led to a ton of fake calls and basically had investigators running around in circles. So a mess. Yep. So now we get to the third couple. Uh, flash forward another month-ish on April 13th. So they're all like almost exactly a month apart, which is weird. You just couldn't go a month without killing someone. Yeah. So on April 13th, Betty Jo Booker was a 15-year-old saxophone player. <laughs> she played it. every night um, at like a local kind of like bar-ish spot. And she played with a group called the Rhythmaries. So yeah, she kind of had it going for her. She was like in school and then she was like playing her saxophone, you know. Yeah. She's living it up. Yeah. <laughs> At about 1.30 a.m., she was picked up by her friend of 10 years old. 10 years. <laughs> friend of 10 years. <laughs> My 10-year-old friend just, like, whipped up in her <laughs> Buick and, you know. <laughs> this friend was 16-year-old Paul Martin. Before, before going home, they went to Spring Lake, um, another lover's lane. Ooh. Yes. Uh, on the day following, a couple was driving down the North Park Road with their son. They saw a young man lying dead on the road with four gunshot wounds. The family left to call police, and police identified him, and they knew it was the same killer as the other cases. So they launched a search party to find Betty. Her body was found two miles away from Paul's behind a tree. Damn. Yes. <laughs> There's a theory that, like explains that which i will get to in a second <laughs> so betty was shot in the head and chest the car was found another three miles away from betty once they investigated they proved the like it was linked with the other two cases both were shot with 32 caliber bullets and the lover's link connection is also like pretty big you know young couples and cars yeah seems like only one person in a town would be doing that yeah um, it's also believed that Betty had been sexually assaulted as well. Uh, the only differences were that they found the, they were found far from the car and far from each other. Police think while the killer was leading them away from the car, Paul fought the killer so Betty could escape. This would explain the second difference, which is Paul had his pants on unlike the other two. And it would also explain why Betty was found so far from Paul. So they were like being walked back into the woods so he could do his whole like sexual assault thing i'm guessing paul was like uh-uh not letting you do this to my friend and like attacks the guy like starts beating with him and stuff yeah as betty's running she just takes off and yeah. damn she ran like two miles then yeah <laughs> go her betty's sex sex <laughs> betty's saxophone was not found <laughs> at the saxophone. scene <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, they didn't find it at the scene, and her band never played again in honor of her. Aww. That kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah. They did find fingerprints this time on Paul's car, but the prints were useless back then without someone to compare them to because, again, they didn't have a big database of them like they do today. So you needed to have someone actively, like, put their finger on the piece of paper with, like, the ink and, like, compare the two. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) All right, we're going to go back to the investigation for a second. Now everyone's panicked and freaked out. Uh, Stores sold out of guns and ammo. Remember, this is Texas and Arkansas, so they're, like, known for their guns. Like, everyone's got a gun around there. So, like, the stores sold out of guns. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's like, shit, time for a new gun. Yep. On April 16th, a newspaper came out and said that, like, the headline on it was Phantom Killer Eludes Officers in Investigation of Slaying investigation of slaying is pressed and that's what gave him the name texarkana phantom because he would just kind of disappear <laughs> like they did there was nothing on this guy really like he would appear and disappear basically like he was maybe he wasn't from the area yeah i don't know there's a few theories as to who it is at the end that we might get to but uh, most of them have checked out and they're probably not the guy (laughs) local groups got together and started to patrol at night on roads that were like known lovers lanes police also had two young looking cops go to lovers lane and try to like trap the killer lure him in yep some cops even had their own teenage daughters oh that's not even okay yep all the plans failed though they were always like close by though like i don't know maybe they had like a walkie-talkie in the car something like that so like i'm assuming they didn't just say hey go to lover's lane with your boyfriend and i'm gonna see if you die (laughs) (laughs) there's probably more planning that went into it than that (laughs) i'm sending you to die thanks dad yeah at this point the money was raised to 1500 which led to even more false and fake calls most teens and young couples stopped doing things in cars, and they thought this would make them safe, but they were wrong. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. There's also a voluntary curfew put in place, which is like, hey, we recommend everyone stay inside their house and don't go anywhere after 8, but if you do, we're not going to do anything about it. So it's just like a recommendation, really. But they called it a voluntary curfew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of for it. Yeah. Okay, fourth victims. On May 3rd at 8 p.m., 37-year-old Virgil Starks. Virgil Starks. Which reminded me of Game of Thrones. I was going to (laughs) say. He had just gotten home from a long day of work and was listening to his home radio. He had a sore back, so his wife, Katie, who was 36, got him this, like, heating pad thing so he was like in his chair with his heating pad listening to his radio show because they didn't have a tv so they just like listen to stuff on the radio they didn't have podcasts either so it was just like like 93x yeah. i suppose like half the people on here don't know what 93x is because it's a local radio station but still it's like a rock station that's really funny they have a cool morning show they call it the half-assed morning show yeah. highly recommend <laughs> it's on iHeartRadio. radio <laughs> 
From upstairs, his wife heard something from, like, the backyard and asked Virgil to turn down the radio. Once the radio got turned down, she heard glass breaking in the living room. Uh-oh. She then heard two gunshots from the floor bef- below her, so she ran down the stairs to find her husband, who was standing in front of his chair. Then he fell back into his chair. She ran up and was like, oh my god, what's wrong? You don't look good. And then noticed that his head was bleeding from two different spots. Oh, god. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about trauma. So it's like a horror movie where, like, you get shot, and then they kind of, like, freeze for a minute, and then they fall back Ugh. into their chair. Yeah, it was just like that. The Katie ran to the phone to call police, but before she could dial 911, she was shot two times in the face. But she was still alive. How? One went through her cheek and came out behind her left ear. The other ball- bullet shattered her jaw and got stuck in the bone, like, kind of underneath her tongue, like... Oh my god, ow. Back of your chin bone, like right in that area, if you could kind of visualize that. Ouch. Yes. Oh my god. (laughs) The man was hitting the screen on the front door trying to get in. Uh, So Katie got her gun from the living room. She heard the killer, but she couldn't see the killer because of all the blood in her eyes. Uh, The man came... Um, like, he went around the side of the house and tried getting in through a window, but their windows were taller because the ground was, like, it went down at a slope towards the back of the house. Like, the yard went down so that the windows got higher up, basically. So he was trying to get into that window. And that's when Katie realized, I'm not going to be able to shoot this gun, let alone, like, aim it. Like, I can't see what I'm doing. So she ran as fast as she could, a hundred yards to her neighbor's house. Damn. They called the police. Um, that neighbor fired a gunshot into the air. and that, You're not supposed to do that. That alerted another neighbor. He came over to see what was going on. And they put her in the back seat of his car and drove to the hospital. On the way there, she pulled a gold tooth out of her broken jaw and gave it to the neighbor for driving her. Ah! Uh- Hey, thanks for driving me. Here's my tooth. (laughs) Fuck. This is so, like, crazy Western movie. What the fuck? Mm. I doubt it's even worth that much anyways. Back then it probably was. Maybe. Okay, so police get to the house and they see that Virgil, um, his heating pad that he was sitting on, had started on fire. Oh Yeah. Uh, luckily, police arrived in time to put it out before, like, too much evidence was destroyed. Police found a trail of blood and teeth from Katie. In the bloody path, they found two footprints and two flashlights. Like, two steps from the same person and then two flashlights. The flashlight had only sold a hundred times in Texas, but the stores were no help because they didn't keep that good of like receipts back then everything had to be written down and i'm sure people got lazy so like they couldn't say here's a list of people that bought this flashlight i wouldn't want to keep track of people everybody who bought a damn flashlight either but i mean no but now like the computer system does it for you yeah (laughs) so the flashlight was actually the first ever colored picture in their local newspaper 
Because they were like, hey, if anyone knows anyone with this flashlight, give us their name. Like, we need to talk to them because there's only 100 sold in the area. True. Oh, I burped. Um, they had been shot with a 22 caliber, not a 32. They were also not in a car, but tire tracks found at the home matched the ones found at the previous murders. They were also the first murder to happen on the Texas side of the border. After this, the killer never struck again. Probably got intimidated by the other neighbor. <laughs> it's like, ah, shit, they're firing back. <laughs> this Gotta man, go. Well, they don't have phones, so I'm... I just want to know the conversation they had prior to that. Like, hey, if you ever hear a gun go off into the air, like, come over because something's going on. That's like my SOS call to you. Well, they had phones. But then why did he use a fucking gun to call his neighbor over? <laughs> he, he probably did it to scare the other guy off. And then the other neighbor was like, huh? Gunshot? I gotta go see. I'm gonna bring my gun too. We're gonna have a gun party. Yeah. You think you can fuck with Joe? I don't now know you're what, fucking with me. I don't know if his name was Joe, but. <laughs> it fits. Yes. Okay, so the town was in such a panic that everyone was carrying weapons, and even kids had like knives on them. <laughs> like I'd send my kid with a out. knife too. Yep. Um, cops had to sound their sirens before going up someone's driveway, so they weren't shot. Like, <laughs> if they were going to go talk to someone, they had to like imagine there's like trees, so you can't really see the road. They would sound their sirens so that they knew, like, oh, it's the police. Don't shoot them. Because everyone was just freaked the fuck out. Damn. Yeah. They got a lot of calls um, from people who were frightened in their home. And they'd be like, hey, I hear weird noise outside. There's some stalker person here. It could be the phantom killer. And it would be stupid stuff like a stray cat digging around in their trash can. (laughs) <laughs> like, everyone was so paranoid. <laughs> oh, man. The investigators were also not getting along or sharing information with each other. A lot of them did not like Gonzalez because he was more concerned with being on the front page than actually solving the crime. Doesn't surprise me. Yes, he would often tell media. I already said that part. Yeah, he was leaking it information and like taking credit for other people's shit yeah this guy just was not liked well and i'm sure police like departments back then are the same as they've always been you know like nah this is my case i'm gonna solve it so i'm not giving anything to you because we're gonna be the ones that figure this out yeah now we're gonna get into some of the theories well i picked one theory because it seemed to be somewhat the strongest but they literally investigated like hundreds of people so like i i don't have time to go over all of the (laughs) suspects (laughs) that's impossible that's a lot of people so we're going to talk about ul sweeney uh he became a prime suspect when arkansas uh state trooper saw that a stolen car was reported on the night of each murder or attack and that some nights on these murders or attacks, a stolen car was found abandoned. 
So he was like, hey, maybe someone's stealing cars and that's how he's getting to these locations. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, that is a little weird that it happened on almost every night of the murders. The officer noticed a stolen car at a mall. When they ran the plates, the car obviously came up that it was stolen. Um, But it was stolen on the night of Richard and Polly's murders. So that's like another link with him. So this car that's in a mall was stolen the same night as the murders. I would look into it. My dog's huffing. Just blowing a fit. (laughs) His wife, Peggy was in the car. So, like, the cop waited until someone came out of the mall into the car, and the person that got into the car was Peggy, who was UL's wife. Uh, She was questioned, and she said that UL was indeed the killer and described the murders to the police in detail. But her story changed a lot, and she refused to testify against him, so there's no actual evidence that they could charge him with. UL was found at a bus stop and tried running from the police. Once a cop pulled his gun, UL said, don't shoot. And the cop said, I'm not going to shoot you over a stolen car. UL replied, saying that he knew he was wanted for more than stealing a car. That's a little weird. UL, what did you do? Exactly. (laughs) Even when he was questioned, he said, like, when he was questioned, the police were like, talking about the car and, like, trying to get him to confess, like, oh, I stole some cars and sold them and blah, 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 whatever. And he kept saying stuff like, oh, no, I know I'm here for more than a car. Just quit the bullshit. Like, tell me what I'm really here for. You all was arrested with car theft, but was released in 1978. Hmm. Yes. The next suspect was a man who went into a store to sell a used saxophone. The clerk at the store said she couldn't make a big purchase like that without her manager. It was like a pawn shop type thing for musical yeah. instruments. Uh, so she went to the back to get her manager. And right when the manager walked out of like the back room, the man took off. So the manager is like, that's suspicious. I'm calling the police because I don't know what's going on here. This man just what dipped. What if it was that one girl's saxophone? That's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> um... Two days later, the police arrested him in a hotel, and he had bought a 45 caliber pistol from a different pawn shop. In his room, police found a bag of bloody clothing. Oh. The man said it was from when he cut his head recently at a bar fight. The clerk in the store identified him as a saxophone man. The police did not find a saxophone in his, like, anywhere. In the room, on him, in his car. Like, they looked at all of his places. There's no saxophone to be found. The man was questioned for days and denied everything, and all of his alibis checked out. Uh, Months later, in October of 1946, so quite a few months after Betty was murdered, they found her saxophone close to where her body was found. But the area had already been searched by police, like extensively searched, and there was no saxophone found then. So the killer came back and put her saxophone there which is super fucking weird weird yeah like could have been this like saxophone guy from the pond store and he's like oh no they're on to me i better go put this back and they maybe they'll just think they forgot it like they did one of those grid search things um i didn't know what that was before this case i actually i've heard of it a few times but i actually looked it up when i did this and they take uh, like a map they say, okay, well, like, 
we're going to do a mile around the crime scene or so many yards around the crime scene. And then they take the map and they draw a grid on it. So like vertical lines and horizontal lines. Yeah. And then they take stakes, they put them in the ground and then they take string and they put them on all of those stakes. And then each person is responsible for a certain square in that area. Oh. So it's like a really extensive search when you do a grid search. Yeah. Like it would be hard to miss a saxophone. That's big, you know? <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, that one gave me the heebie-jeebies because he was never found. <laughs> He's still out there somewhere. He's probably dead. Probably. Uh, 1946? Well, he might still be alive depending on how young he was. Yeah, he could be like in his 80s because my grandma was born in the like 40s and she's still alive. Yeah. That one freaked me out. But, oh, it was pretty interesting. It was also really good, Ozzy. He's got some itches. It was really hard to do because, like, the urban legend is pretty popular. The crime itself is really popular. There's been a bunch of movies and stuff based off of it. So, like, information's, like, all over the place. So I had to kind of, like, piece everything out. together. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you can tell this was just a messy case in itself. Yeah, and investigators, even with Charles Manson, like, his investigation could have been solved so much faster if the two police stations had just shared information with each other. Yeah. But they didn't. They let their fucking egos get the best of them. Yep. Because it's all about, like, oh, our station's better because we solved this crime, not, like, okay, let's get this fucking psycho off the streets. And protect the people. Mm-hmm. No, nah, we're worried about our egos. Fucking diplods. Well, happy spoopy oopy. Spo- I gotta learn how to say that. Spoopy oopy. The spoopy oopy season. Yeah. I don't know. That was like the first thing that popped into my head. <laughs> it's spoopy. Well, we hope you enjoyed that episode. And, um. It's a lot less scary when I talk about it, like, during the day. It was, like, dark in here when I was doing my research, so I was, like, really freaked out. <laughs> I thought it was going to be some, like, ghosty story when you said that you felt like somebody was watching you. I was like, ooh, demons. No, just because there's, like, this guy was so good at it. Like, he left hardly any evidence. Well, he probably would have left more evidence if we had, like, yeah, more intensive uh, evidence. Uh, um, forensic yeah. knowledge. It there we go. That's might, what I was looking for. It might be solved in our lifetime, though, because like cold cases get reopened every once in a while. Like they just kind of like peek at them and they like look into them, make sure they didn't miss anything like that. And like, especially in the last like ten to fifteen years, like forensic technology has been crazy advanced. Oh, so yeah. like. Who knows, maybe they will find something that had DNA on it, and then they'll test it, and maybe like, it'll hey, match with someone. Guy. Yeah. What if he never had anything? It, like, It's hard with that, though, because they didn't have databases of their like DNA yeah. and stuff like that. So if he died before he ever got any DNA well, they in found the system. Out, um, I want to say... It was one of John Wayne Gacy's victims. I think it was him. Um, 
one of the unidentified ones was actually solved because they ran the kid's DNA and then it came back with a partial match who ended up being like his great aunt or something like that. And that's how they were able to I figure out who it was. I remember talking about that. So they might be able to do something like that. Like, oh, whoever committed these murders was related to Billy Bob Joe and then go from there, you know? Makes sense. That's interesting. That's what I would want to do if I ever worked in, like, forensic stuff, is I'd want to look at all the cold cases and fig- figure them out. I'm pretty sure that, like, well, okay, a lot of the documentaries I look for, it's, like, rookie detectives that look through the cold cases. I'm sure some, like, experienced ones do, too. But. They're like, nah, these are for the rookies. Yeah. And then I'm sure the rookies feel like they're on top of the fucking world when they solve the cold case. I know I would. I would, too. <laughs> like, goddamn, look what I did. I figured this out when nobody else <coughs> could before. Okay, well, that's it. That's all I have for that episode. Well, make sure you check us out on the Instagrams and the Facebooks. And honestly, fuck the Twitters, because we haven't. I can't can't figure out anything. I haven't even done anything with the Facebook because I updated it and I have to do something with it and I just don't want to. Um, (laughs) I will fix that tomorrow, though. I will do that. (laughs) I'm gonna... If you want any spooky stories um, of your own or you have anything that you want us to look into... Or you have anything that you want us to look into, you can email us. um, Our email is theclawcrypt at gmail.com. Uh, or Facebook message or Instagram has message. Yeah. Okay. I don't do Instagram, so I don't know if it has messages. But Instagram has messaging. Okay. You can do that, too. It'd probably be easier than typing in the email. Probably. I don't even think people use email these days anymore anyways. No. Well, we hope you keep listening, and, um, yeah. Goodbye. Bye.